Hello. This is Victoria your producer. You have discovered the felony file. Formerly known as 542 and the Blue. A podcast. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. Felonfile.com. Is a podcast exploration. And discussion of law enforcement. History. Issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Today's discussion. Were they hung because of the cat? A daring robbery that went wrong in the United States North Carolina. Mountains. 120 years ago. Background music. By Kevin McLeod. Used per common licensee. Scott. You're online. Thank you Victoria for starting us out and getting us rolling today. Welcome to Felony File, where we discuss, like Victoria said, issues and incidents that have happened in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond that are related to law enforcement, court cases, and other things of interest. And I am your host, Scott Lunsford. Now we're going to talk today about the Emma burglary. Emma, North Carolina, which is a little community outside of Asheville, North Carolina. This was not only a burglary to a business, but a burglary to a post office, making it, uh, or possibly making it a federal offense. This occurred 120 years ago in the Emma community. Now, there's a few different sources that are available for information on this particular incident. Court records, old newspaper articles, and federal records, and even the records from the White House of Theodore Roosevelt. Interesting. A very good source of information is the State of North Carolina versus Foster page 704 in the North Carolina Court Review books. Now I take you back to February 8th, 1901. A Mr. D.J. McClelland was the owner of a store at a place called Emma, Emma, North Carolina, a few miles from the city of Asheville in the county of Buncombe. Now he had employed a young man by the name of Samuel H. Anderson as his clerk and assistant in the store. Another one of the duties that Mr. Anderson had was working in the post office section of the store. And he had been there for more than three years and boarded in the house of the owners of the shop and he actually slept in the store. He had a pretty good deal going on. He had a small little bedroom there, and he took his meals with the McClellan family. And like I said, in the store itself, there was a room fitted up and furnished with a bed and some other small furniture, kind of as a sleeping apartment, in which Alexander kept uh, his belongings and, and slept there for the last three years. Now, when this incident happened, he was 20 years old, so he started working when he was 17 there. On the night of February 8, 1901, he closed the store like he normally does. And between 8 and 9 o'clock, he went on to bed. 
but thinking that a customer might come by, which a not uncommon occurrence, and not really being ready to go to bed himself and sleep, he lit a lamp and left it burning in the storeroom, which could be seen from the windows. Soon after he went to, went to his, his sleeping quarters, he heard a noise at one of the outer doors of the store building. Thinking it was a customer, he went and asked who it was. A male voice answered him, saying, We've just moved to the community. We want to come in. We need to buy coffee, flour, and some medicine. Being the good businessman he is, working for his boss, he unbarred the door, opened it up about 12 inches, still having the knob in his hand, just to see what was going on. And before he could stop it, two men forced their way in through the opening and rushed in, pointing pistols at him and told him to get his hands up that they had come for business. Somewhat knowing the layout of the store there, which would not be unusual, with pistols still pointed at young Mr. Anderson, they forced him into his tiny bedroom where they searched him and the room. The two robbers located Anderson's pistol and secured it, found no other weapons on him, and then forced him into the storeroom where they made an effort to try to break into the post office area that was incorporated into the store. Well, Mr. Anderson told them he had no key to it. That was the key was left for his boss and his boss would be in in the morning to open it. And when they could not get into the post office, they decided there was nothing in there but stamps anyway. So they abandoned it for the present. So they changed the direction of their pursuit. Now the robbers turned at that point to an iron safe that was behind the counter, ordered him under threat of being shot to open it while he was being covered with the pistol. Now Alexander refused to open the safe and said go ahead and shoot. So the bandits put a knife to his throat. Only then did he agree to open the strong box. Now after the safe was open, the robber who had custody of Mr. Anderson's pistol laid it on the countertop while he went through and started digging through the safe looking for what valuables and cash and coin that he could find. It just so happened that also residing in the store was a cat by the name of Mac. Now the cat was woken by all the noise and commotion and he came out from behind some boxes where he had been sleeping. As cats will do, he knocked a few to the floor. Now this made enough of a noise that the robber who was covering the clerk, Mr. Anderson, spun around with his pistol pointing to see if they were being attacked from the rear, thinking somebody was sneaking up behind him. Now given this opportunity, Alexander immediately snatched up his own pistol where it had been laid on the countertop and recovering it he shot the man robbing the safe and then shot the man that was 
holding the gun on him who was now looking at the cat. The man who had been distracted by the cat spun back around after being shot and fired around off at Alexander. The two robbers, a Johnson and Foster, then fired again at Alexander, one bullet going through Alexander's leg and one going through his chest. Several more shots followed and a scuffle ensued between Anderson and one of the robbers, the one that had the knife. But he was able to subdue those individuals, even though he was shot twice and cut several times in the arms. He was able to force the bad guys out the back door. Once he was outside, Alexander, who was a member of the Odd Fellows organization, gave what the newspapers referred to as the Odd Fellow Distress Signal. And the owner of the store heard this, and some other people in the community who were close by heard it, and they came to his assistance. Now, while Alexander went for help, he was bleeding profusely before he left the back of the store, two other men appeared and grabbed the would-be robbers and drug them off. One of the men taking a shot at Alexander as he stood at the back of the building. These individuals, a Rush Cates and a Harry Mills, uh, came from the shadows and carried the would-be robbers away. Now the alarm went out, the sheriff responded, other law enforcement responded, but the community of Emma at that time was outside of the jurisdiction of Asheville. So the Asheville Police Department did not respond. But Police Captain Jordan, who was on duty that night, received a call, received information that two men had appeared to hijack one of the hijacked one of the hacks that was waiting down near the railroad yard for passengers. Uh, the hack at that time period is equivalent to what you would say uh, an Uber or a taxi. More like a taxi, I would imagine. So Captain Jordan received this information and proceeded to investigate with the help of some of his men. After a search for a possible victim, the driver of the hack arrived back at the railroad station and met up with pol with police captain jordan and received information that the taxi driver had been forced at gunpoint to go towards emma from asheville where two men who had been gravely wounded were taken and loaded into his wagon and transported to another location both men appeared to be severely wounded from gunshot and other injuries, was able to take the, the four individuals to a location in West Asheville. While they unloaded and carried the injured men inside a house, the cab driver fled as quick as he possibly could, afraid for what might happen to him 
and returned to the downtown Asheville area where he was able to locate the police captain. Now Captain Jordan interviewed the man, loaded up his officers in a couple of the wagons that were down there and proceeded to backtrack to where the individuals were at that had kidnapped or forced the cab driver to take them to West Asheville. They went to a location in West Asheville called Scratch Ankle. And when I joined the police department in the late 80s, Scratch Ankle was still referred to it. I haven't heard anybody call it that in a long, long time, but it is a small, tiny little community off of Patton Avenue that still exists. And when I started in the late 80s, it was still considered kind of a place of den of thieves type location or a location of ne'er-do-wells. Asheville Police Captain Jordan located the robbers and was able to take all four of them into custody. One of the robbers, Foster, the worst of those that were shot, made what he thought a dying declaration. He advised that one of his cohorts was an expert safecracker and also was wanted in Florida and Georgia for murder, and that Mills was also involved in several personal robberies and holdups in the Asheville area in February of 1901. Now, reading further court directives and testimony of the captain in court on his arrest of these individuals, it ends up that these four men had been involved in a very large amount of robberies and personal robberies in the West Asheville area and down around the railroad yards and that the police department had been attempting to locate them for some time. Reading newspapers at the time, especially the ones published about two days afterwards, after the robbery occurred, it was thought that Samuel Alexander, the young clerk who was shot, was more than likely going to die and that the individuals that robbed him would be charged with murder as well. Mr. Alexander, he was to have been married several days after the robbery had occurred, and his condition was so critical that his wife insisted that the ceremony be performed earlier, and it was at the hospital where he was recovering. Now, if he had passed, there was probably going to be a mass attack on the jail where the four robbers were being held. It ended up they were threats of lynching on the four men if Alexander did die. The prisoners ended up being moved from city jail over to Buncombe County Jail. This was such a serious concern that later in the that the governor ordered out two Asheville military companies to protect the prisoners. And about 80 members of the local militia and a large posse of citizens were also on guard at the jail to keep the public from breaking in and lynching and murdering the prisoners. At one point, the threats of violence against the prisoners were so strong that they were loaded on a train and sent to Charlotte before the trial and placed into custody there. 
and were confined in the Mecklenburg County Jail. About 24 hours after they had arrived at the Mecklenburg County Jail in Charlotte, one of the prisoners, Ben Foster, ended up attacking another prisoner there in the jail during a lunch break. Foster got into an argument with another prisoner by the name of Gaffney. Foster ended up taking a heavy chair that was in this cell that he had access to and attacked Mr. Gaffney, striking him so hard that his skull was badly fractured and one of the physicians who attended to uh, Gaffney's medical needs informed the local newspaper that the man would probably die. He is still unconscious. We don't expect him to awake. Now the sheriff was downstairs at the time and he and his some of his men were able to to intervene before I guess before Foster actually killed Gaffney. All this information was brought up and used also against Foster and his trial for robbery. The newspapers of the day referred to him as Bad Ben Foster. And apparently Mr. Foster had a very extensive criminal record and was actually being sought at by other jurisdictions for crimes that he had committed. Now the penalty for burglary in the first degree in North Carolina, which is what this amounted to in 1901, was a capital offense. In other words, if they were convicted, the four robbers could receive the death penalty. In reviewing newspapers of the day, several of the media sources from Charlotte and Raleigh that covered the, this particular incident reported that about 30 years previously, before the in, for 1901, in Raleigh there had been a case almost identical to this one. Three men asked to be allowed into a store. They wished to buy some meat. They overpowered the store owner and robbed him. Those three men were also convicted and executed in Raleigh. All four men were indicted by a grand jury. Henry Mills, R.S. Gates, Ben Foster, and Frank Johnston were all charged as principals. The case against the four was heard by Judge Frederick Moore and a jury an especially called jury in June of 1901 found all four guilty of the capital offense of first-degree burglary and sentenced them to be executed. Just like today there is an automatic appeal. The four robbers appealed their case to the North Carolina Supreme Court and then to the governor. It ended up that two of the individuals Gates and Mills had their sentence commuted by the governor to life imprisonment in the penitentiary. One of them ended up dying in prison and Gates ended up serving time until he was in his 80s when he was released from prison and moved back to the state of Tennessee where he was originally from, moved in with some relatives and was never really heard of again until he passed away. Their execution was set 
for August the 16th of 1901. Now keep in mind this execution was taking place about four months after the crime had occurred. The judge saying after they were found guilty that between the hours of 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the afternoon they were to be taken hence to the place of public execution of in Buncombe County and there by the sheriff hang by the neck until they are dead and then adding and may God have mercy on your souls. This was to be the first hanging in Buncombe County since 1872 when a man by the name of Hall was hung for murder. When I researched Hall's murder and when I researched Hall and his execution in 1872, I found some media reports in newspapers that listed his execution to have been the only legal execution and hanging since the Civil War. Big thing to say. Now, is our story over? We have four villains caught, tried, and two of them sentenced to die and executed. Two of them sent to life in prison. But no, that was not all. Now, it's possible that you may think this is the end of the story. Well, no, it's not. The story continues on for several years. As a matter of fact, in 1905, four years after the robbery occurred, Congress was asked to appropriate $10,000 for Mr. Samuel H. Alexander. And this is a newspaper article written by Thomas J. Pence in uh, Washington, published January 3, 1905. I'll quote some of this for you, give you an update on Mr. Alexander. Samuel H. Alexander, the young man while defending the post office at Emma, North Carolina, from attack on the part of four burglars and drove them away, is in failing health. An effort will be made to have Congress present to him a gift of $10,000 as a reward for his courage and bravery he exhibited on the occasion. Mr. Alexander's heroic defense of government property won for him the thanks of the government, expressed in a very complimentary letter written by the Postmaster General, and subsequently he was given an appointment to the post office in recognition for his gallant action. The wounds which he received while at the, his post of duty and engaged in the defense of the Emma Post Office have seriously impaired his health. A bill will be introduced in Congress in a few days authorizing the appropriation of $10,000 in his favor. It is said there is precedent for such actions by Congress. The friends of the young man hope to see such recognition given his courageous deed when he in the midst of night successfully coped with the four burglars and would-be murderers who invaded the Buncombe County Post Office. Mr. Alexander is barely able to discharge the duties of his present position, which pays him $75 a month. His illness incident to the wound he received cost $1,500 
and he had been put to much expense in various other ways ever since. As evidence of the good opinion which the government officials entertained for him, by reason of his conduct on the night of the Emma burglary, it is only necessary to quote the following paragraph from the highly complimentary letter written at the time by the Postmaster General, Charles Smith. Quote, in acknowledgment of your fidelity and personal bravery, I desire to extend to you the thanks of the Post Office Department and to express the hopes that you may live for many years to enjoy the honor which you have so dearly purchased and to which you are so justly entitled. And that was the newspaper article. Now they made a reference in the article to an appointment. President Teddy Roosevelt found out about the issue and found out that Mr. Alexander was suffering from the lingering effects of the incident to his body. He made arrangements for Alexander to come to Washington, D.C., and he granted him a job in the federal post office there in Washington, D.C., paying him $75 a week. Nice salary, but there is always a catch. It seems Mr. Alexander did not have the learned skills to match the job he was placed in. He could read and write, but some of the other necessary educational skills he did not possess. So he went back to the president and explained himself and basically telling the president, I'm sorry, I can't do the job like you want me to do. I'm going back home. President Roosevelt was impressed by this and made arrangements for Mr. Alexander to go back to school while still continuing his job with the post office and learning the ins and outs of what the particular parts of his job with the post office was, which Mr. Alexander did and continued to work for the post office. Now, the $10,000 was not approved by Congress, but he did get a, a small uh, stipend of, to help him pay for his medical expenses, which he was still paying for five years later. Remembering that the idea was he was not going to survive his injuries, but he did and continued to work, working towards paying off his bills. This was before, of course, workman's comp. If you were hurt on the job, that was it. Any, any medical assistance you got came out of your pocket. Now, Mr. Alexander did so well with the post office. He ended up retiring from there after 25 years and moving back to western North Carolina where he was still greatly appreciated and he continued being a servant to the people through his church and through other works that he was involved in. But wait, there's still somebody we want to acknowledge that was involved with the great Emma burglary and robbery of 1901. Now he didn't get called to the White House. He didn't get offered a job. He didn't, he did retire though from what I understand. That's Mac the cat. Mac no longer had to hunt mice and fend for himself at the store there in Emma. He became sort of a celebrity kitty cat laid around on the front porch and his admiring public 
brought him gifts of snacks and food and whatever Mac wanted. Mac lived for a couple of years after the robbery, but unfortunately he passed away and was buried with honors near the store. Now that just about covers the great Emma 1901 burglary and robbery and post office break-in. We hope you enjoyed the information that, that was presented. History is always there. And if you look back there, you might find something of interest in it. That's our podcast. I appreciate y'all listening. Be sure to come back next Saturday. We'll have another Shade of Blue story for your review. And I appreciate the emails from everyone uh, checking up on me after my little bout with the COVID pneumonia situation. Remember, wear the mask. Wash those hands. Eh, I don't want to catch it again. So y'all take care you have the opportunity, do something nice for somebody. As always, be safe and secure. And Victoria, go ahead and take it away. You've got the control board back. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to The Felony File. Your host, Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, or Scott's books and writings go to scottlunsfordauthor.com or felonyfiles.com. Scott can also be reached via these web pages. This is Victoria, your producer. Two, one, end. I almost forgot. If you would like to support the Felon File podcast, please go to buymeacoffee.com backslash felonfile. Here you can buy Scott a cup of coffee or help purchase some of the research material and expenses that it takes to do Felon File. That's buymeacoffee.com backslash felon file. Once more thank you for listening.